question for you this morning. As I was preparing my message this week, this is the thing that the Lord kept bringing to my heart and mind. And it's this question. How strong is grace? How strong is grace? Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, you're saved, you're a Christian, you understand Ephesians 2.8. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We understand it's by grace, it's not by our works. We understand the theological definition of God's grace. It means what? God's unmerited favor. But question for you, how does it, how does it work its way out in our everyday life? How does, it, how does grace work its way out in our everyday life when, when life throws us a curveball, when things are challenging, when things are difficult? How does God's grace come into effect in our life? How does it come into effect? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at 10 verses this morning. Every week I go and I start studying the Word and preparing the Word. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do a chapter this Sunday. And I, I get about 8 or 9 or 10 verses into it. And I said, man, this is as far as I can go because there's so much here. And the thing I want you to leave here today with is knowing this, how strong God's grace is. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. It says this. The Apostle Paul says, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know. God knows. Such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this, so that no one will credit with me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, Jesus says these words by direct revelation to the Apostle Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Can't wait to get into this part. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. And here it is. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. What he's saying is when I am weak, and my weaknesses, Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me, the grace of God in me is what makes me strong. Paul knew where his strength came from. He knew where his, I like to call it, intestinal fortitude came from. That word intestinal fortitude is a word that, uh, that athletes use, that the military uses. Athletes, when they're running a race, they have to dig down deep and they have to keep on going. When you're in the military... 
and things get tough and things get trying, you have to dig down deep and keep on going when there's no strength left. What's our mission statement? To make disciples that are focused upwards, inwards, and outwards. That's the mission statement of Calvary Chapel Irma. How does this teaching this morning fit into our mission statement? It fits into it this way. The, the teaching this morning is meant to focus your heart upwards. Sometimes we're going to be looking upwards. Sometimes we're going to be looking inwards with our inner relationships. Sometimes we're going to be looking outwards at evangelism. But this morning, we're looking at our upward relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through grace. Um, grace. That's very, it's very important that as a disciple, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we understand what grace is. We need to have a, a good, solid understanding. Now, we've all heard that it's God's unmerited favor. It's God dealing with you. And there's a beautiful verse in the Old Testament I want to start with. Exodus 34, 6 says this. says, um, talking about grace. It says, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. God's grace, which we don't deserve, by the way, because we're sinners and we've rebelled against him, is his compassion, is his grace, is his loving kindness, is his truth. As Exodus 34, 6 says, grace, we need to understand it. Let's pray one more time, and we'll get into our verse-by-verse study. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, um, strengthen our hearts. Let, let us lead this morning with a fresh perspective on your grace in our lives. And Lord, for those who need this encouragement, Father, I pray that you lift them up. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, let's look at the first half of the verse. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. Now, the first thing he says here, he says, boasting is not profitable. What's boasting? Bo- boasting is, is uh, prideful bragging. It's prideful bragging. And Paul hated bragging about himself. Before he, became, before he was a believer, he bragged about himself as a Pharisee and his knowledge of the law, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisee. But now, since he becomes a Christian, he doesn't want no attention brought to himself. He does not want to boast. He does not want to boast. And as I stand before you this morning, I can tell you about my experiences. I can tell you all about the things that God has done in my life and start boasting about them. But unless you experience it, it does you no good. It does you no good. You've got to experience the grace of God. You've got to experience his truth. You've got to experience the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's not good enough for you just to listen to me about my testimony. We want you to experience that hope, you to experience that joy. Upward relationship with Christ, right? Amen. But he says here, um, he says boasting is necessary. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter um, 10, 11, 12, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's dealing with the false apostles. He's dealing with the false apostles. They call them super apostles. And they're bragging about their visions and their revelations and their unbiblical ways. And Paul says, okay, fine. You want me to boast? 
I'm going to boast, and I'm going to tell you about this amazing out-of-body experience I had. But he did it not to boast. He did it to defend his apostolic authority. There's a principle here in verse 1. The principle is this. True servants do not boast in themselves. We don't boast in ourselves. We don't even boast in the name of our church. (laughs) We don't even boast in the name of our church. We boast in one name. And when that name is? Amen. It's Jesus. But Paul says in verse 1, he says, But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, I just got to stop right here for a minute, because within Christianity, I, I see talk within the circles of Christianity, and there's this temptation to separate the teachings of the Apostle Paul from the teachings of Jesus. And that's just not the case. All Scripture, all of the Gospels, all of the Epistles, the entire New Testament is all equally inspired, and it is profitable for us. But some people try to separate the two. Well, we fall under Paul's teaching, or we fall under Jesus' teaching. No, it's the same message, the same God that inspired the Gospels, inspired the Epistles. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, concerning his teachings and people questioning his authority, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the Gospel that I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation is this beautiful New Testament document we have that teaches us about grace and about this new life in Christ. Let's look at verse 2. Now Paul's going to go into To defend his apostolic authority, he's going to shed some light on a a vision he had, actually an out-of-body experience. Verse 2 says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, the focus of chapter 12, Paul's just defending his apostolic authority. But he, he takes this detour to give us a glimpse of the third heaven. The third heaven. Where, where is it? What is it like? And how do I get there? Me and Irene, many, many years ago, we were um, out to dinner with a couple. Had a great evening of fellowship and dinner, and then we went over to their house and we were drinking coffee, and this um, couple started to tell me um, about their testimony. And they started talking about the fifth heaven and the sixth heaven and the seventh heaven. And I'm like, hmm, I don't know about this. I got to check this. But anyway, they gave, us this, they gave us this lengthy speech about the the fourth heaven, the fifth heaven, the sixth heaven, the seventh heaven. And I said, ah, I'm not sure about that. I said, I gotta, I gotta go check that out. Well, I went back and I studied my Bible. And I'm here to tell you today, the Bible presents us with three heavens. The scripture teaches three heavens. The first heaven is where the planes are and where the birds. It's that space between here and the edge of the atmosphere. It's that blue sky where planes are flying and birds are flying. When you take a trip across the United States, it's that airspace that you're going through that encircles the earth. That is what the Bible calls the first heaven. 
Then there's the second heaven. The second heaven is that of the stars and the galaxies. This month is the 28th anniversary of the Hubble telescope. It was launched into space on April 24th, 1990. And on Friday, they release these pictures that you this up on the screen of uh, the Lagoon Nebula. These are recent pictures from the Hubble telescope, and, and they release this new photo in commemoration of the 28th anniversary. Go to the next slide. This is a zoomed-in picture. How cool is that? How cool is that? This is the Lagoon Nebula. It's a colossal hub of stars that is 4,000 light years away. It is 55 light years wide and 20 light years tall. How awesome is that? And did you know that our New Testament, that our Bible teaches that everything out there was created by our Lord and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? He controls. He rules the universe. Every star, every galaxy, every dirt on the surface of Mars, he is well aware of. But that's the second heaven. Going back to our heavens. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven is that of the, um, of the universe. But then the Bible introduces us to a place called the third heaven. The third heaven. In John chapter 14, Jesus first introduces us to this. He tells his disciples on the, uh, on the uh, evening before his crucifixion, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, but we're not so I would have told you. I go to prepare. Here it is. I go to prepare a place. That's what John chapter 14 says. The, the Greek word for place is topos. It means a place marked off by boundaries. It's, it's a city. And then you, then you jump forward to Revelation chapter 21, and John says this at the end of time. The new Jerusalem, the third heaven, will come down out of heaven, prepared for the bride. So there's this city. There's this new Jerusalem. There's this place called the, the third heaven. This is where Jesus is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. One day he will leave that third heaven. One day he will return to earth. That's the promise of God's word. And that's the promise that we need to heed. But I want you to notice here in this passage that we're looking at, notice how Paul is transported there. Look at verses 2 and 4. Verses 2 and 4, he says he was caught up. The phrase is used twice. The, the Greek word is, is harpazo. Harpazo, it means to seize, to snatch away. It's the same uh, phrase that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So the apostle Paul, we believe this may have happened when he was either in Arabia, before he went on his mission, missionary journeys, or it may have happened in Acts chapter 14, where he was at Lystra, and he was stoned. He was dragged out of the city, and he was stoned to death. But anyway, um, this was like a rapture, where he was snatched away. And it happened so quickly and so fast, that it, in the blink of an eye, bam, he was there. That's why he says, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body. God knows. All I know is I was there. But here's my point. One day, this is going to happen to you. One day, this is a promise of God's, from God's word to you. That one day, you will experience 
this exact same event. We call it the rapture of the church. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. I'll read it to you. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. For some of us, we're going to be alive on the earth. We're going to be alive on the earth. And in the twinkling of an eye, bam! Our bodies are going to go from mortal to immortal, and we're going to be taken up to heaven. And all the believers who have gone before us, they will be raised to life, and they will go up in this thing called the rapture, where they're caught up to this place called the third heaven. The third heaven. You know, I could, you know we have a lot of movies out right now that talk about you know, heaven, you know, having out-of-body experiences. And I, I think they're awesome. I, I like to watch them. I like to hear testimonies and, and hear different things. But notice, I can't help but to think of what the Corinthians may have been asking the Apostle Paul. The, my thought is, knowing the supernatural and, and the above and beyond, what was it like, Paul? What was it like? What did you see? What did you hear? Come on, Paul. Give us some good information. Give us some nuggets of what you saw. What did you see? Look at um, verse 4. This is all he tells us. He says in verse 4, Was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which man is not permitted to speak. In other words, it's beyond our understanding. It's so glorious. It's so amazing that it's beyond our understanding. Paul's like, there's no English words to describe how awesome it is. There's nothing, I can't describe it. It's that amazing. It's that glorious. This place called heaven. You know, we, we, we believe that God created this world in one week. Creation, according to Genesis chapter 1. It, it, took, it took him one week to create everything. Jesus has been working on this place for 2,000 years. Maybe that explains why Paul said at this point, it's indescribable, and it's getting better and better. That's because he, according to John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place. What an amazing truth. What an amazing truth. Three heavens. You want to get to the first heaven? Go buy you an airplane ticket. And fly across the United States. And you will get to experience and see the first heaven as you look out the window. Second heaven, you know, go get your PhD and all them scientific degrees and go get on a, a rocket ship or a space shuttle. And you'll get to go into, the, you'll, you'll, you'll get to go to this place called the second heaven. But to get to the third heaven, you have to go to Calvary. You have to go to Calvary is what it takes to see this place called the third heaven is we go to the blood of Christ and we get to go to this place called the third heaven. Amen? Amen. Heaven is a glorious truth. It's a glorious truth that should give our hearts strength and give us endurance as we um, continue through the Christian life. Verse 5. Verse 5, he says, uh, going back to the, the, the boasting and the weaknesses. Verse 5. On behalf of such a man, I will boast... But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do 
wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. You know, Paul was very careful not to draw attention to himself. That was not his mission. That was not his aim. Now, that was the aim of the false apostles. They were trying to drag the people towards them. Follow us, follow me. But Paul's, not, Paul's saying, no, don't follow me, follow Jesus. Follow, follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace, um, grace brought an authenticity to the Apostle Paul's life, as well as it should bring an authenticity to our life. I am who I am. This is who God has made me. This is why God has changed me. And I'm here to serve Christ and just be real. Just be authentic. Live an authentic Christian life. Share people your victories, but also share with people your struggles. Does anybody have any struggles? Have any battles in life as a believer? We all do. Sometimes they're mental, sometimes they're physical, sometimes they're spiritual, sometimes we have difficult times. But we're called to be authentic. We're not called to be fake. We're called to be transparent and be real. Paul had struggles. You know, think about our founder, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He was nailed to a cross. He was crucified. That that wasn't a, a glorification in the eyes of the first century Romans. He suffered greatly. He suffered greatly. But, it, it, but our grace brought an authenticity to the Apostle Paul's life, and so should it bring an authenticity to our life. Verses 7 and 8. He says, uh, very great passage here. Verses 7 and 8. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, um, he says, I implored the Lord three times that he might leave me. Now the first question every pastor, every theologian, every serious student of the word wants to ask when they see this passage is, what was the thorn in the flesh? What was the thorn in the flesh? There's several things that have been thrown out there. Some people believe it was a physical ailment. Some people believe it was the Apostle Paul's eyes. Some people believe it was his speech. Some people believe it was a malaria. It was some type of disease that was a thorn in his flesh. Then there's another camp that believed it was just spiritual warfare. It was the spiritual warfare that he was experiencing from these false apostles. What was the thorn in the flesh? The word thorn, uh, translated in the original language, it means stake. It's not just, we think about a thorn, we think about a little prick. Ow, that hurts. No, if you go back and you look up this word, it means a large stake. It was a huge thorn in the Apostle Paul's side. It was a huge difficulty that he had in this life. What was it? What do you think it was? What was it? Okay, when the author, within the context of the passage, does not tell us or give us the answer, it's not important. It's not important what it was. It's not important what it was. I'm going to go into what Paul says and what he says here in these next couple verses to describe thorns in the flesh because he gives us 
some descriptive words that talk about his suffering and his difficulty. But I, I believe it could have been a wide range. And I believe God purposefully did not allow the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul's writing, to give us exactly what the thorn in the flesh was because so many people have thorns in the flesh. And we don't want to be able to say, oh, well, it's this. So everybody dealing with this can understand. But all the other thorns in the flesh and all the other difficulties in life, well, that don't apply to you. That makes no sense. Because we all have thorns in the flesh. We all have difficulties. The purpose, the purpose there, he says it twice in this passage. He says, the purpose of this thorn in the flesh was to keep me from exalting myself. It was to protect Paul from pride. Well, guess what? If Paul needs protection from pride, guess who else does? We do. We do. We need to. And the thing about it is, we see in this passage that God permitted it. God permitted it. God permitted this messenger of Satan to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. To the natural mind, this don't make no sense. To the natural mind, we don't like this. We don't like this. But let me ask you a question if you're thinking that way. What is it like in life when all is well? What is it like when all is well in our life and everything is good, everything is rosy, everything's happy? What do we do with God? We forget about him. We forget about him. But what do we do when we have a struggle? I mean, we're going to Bible study. We're going to church. We're worshiping, we're praying, we're reading the Word. Sometimes weaknesses, difficulties in life can be good for you. They can be good for me because they drive us to our gracious, loving, heavenly, kind Father who's full of grace, who's full of compassion, who's full of goodness, who chooses to take care of us. That song the worship team sang, You're a Good, Good Father. And he is. He is a good, good father. Even in our weaknesses, even in our difficulties, he's a good, good father that you can run to when you're challenged and things are going south and your children aren't doing the things that you know they're supposed to be doing. When there's a sickness in your life, there's an ailment, there's difficulties. We're going to get into those. But notice Paul's response. I'm so thankful that God chose to put this in the scripture to encourage us with. Look at Paul's response. He says um, in verse 8 there, he prays, I implore the Lord three times that he might leave me. And look at Jesus' response in verse 9. Look at it for yourself. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through a trying time. Verse 9. God's response to Paul and God's response to us is this. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. When we have a weakness in our life, when we have a difficulty in our life, that is a place where God will come in and minister, minister to us and be exalted my, uh, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, halfway through verse 9, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so 
that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I want to talk about that phrase for a minute. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace, we know, is God's unmerited favor. It's what he has saved us by. We stand by grace, in grace, through grace alone, through our faith in Christ. But grace, according to Exodus 34, his benevolence towards us, him, him, him acting towards you, grace is God's compassion, his loving kindness, his truth, and his grace towards you. That's what people need to hear and know to be able to move forward in life, to, to, in order to be saved and to, to come into a right relationship with Christ. They need to understand grace. It's grace, grace, grace. And then it says, it says, my grace is sufficient for you. The word sufficient, I went and looked up on the Blue Letter Bible last night. And sufficient, the word sufficient, my grace is sufficient for you. Sufficient means, um, it was four definitions, I'm going to give you all four. Sufficient means unfailing, strong enough to defend and protect, and to be satisfied. In other words, to be content. Now, what I want to do with that phrase, I want to add those words up to you. I want to add those words together and present them to you. When you add the definitions of the word grace and sufficiency, according to this definition, this is what you have. God's compassion towards you is unfailing. God's compassion towards you is unfailing. His compassion is strong enough. His compassion will defend and protect you. His compassion will satisfy you. His compassion will make you content. His loving kindness is unfailing. His loving kindness is strong enough. His loving kindness defends you, and his loving kindness will satisfy you. The other two words, truth, let's might as well go through them all. God's grace, his truth towards us is unfailing. It's strong enough. It defends us. It protects us. It satisfies us. And let's just say it, the word itself, grace, my grace. When we say grace is sufficient, according to the definition of sufficient, his grace is unfailing. His grace is unfailing. It will not fail. His grace is strong. His grace is powerful. It's more than just salvation. It's more than just coming to the cross. He wants to extend his arm of grace to you in your weakness and lift you up. Grace defends us. Grace protects us. And most importantly, I love this one, grace satisfies us. Grace satisfies us, and it brings wholeness to us. That's what grace does. Study, go and look at these amazing, this amazing phrase, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Now, um, let's look at verse 10. Let's, let's read it, and then we'll talk about it. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. I, saw, I said a while ago, within the, in the immediate passage, he does not tell us what the thorn in the flesh was. God is so amazing. God is so awesome that in this passage of Scripture, he doesn't tell us he doesn't put the pinpoint on, on, on what the problem was or what the weakness was, but he gives us verse 10. 
He gives us verse 10, so then you can apply the thorn in the flesh to any of these situations. Look at verse 10. Well, for the, the, the way, I love the way it ends. It says, when I am weak, then I am strong. In our weakness, God's grace is manifested, and he makes us strong. Now, it's very important. What I want to do is I want to look at each one of these words in verse 11. And I, and, and I want to talk about them and talk about them as, as, as Paul's struggle. But there's one thing we need to understand. Nowhere in verse 10 is he talking about sin. Nowhere in verse 10. When he talks about weaknesses and difficulties and distresses, he's not talking about it continuing on in a life of sin. He's talking about the trials and the difficulties of life. Let's look at it. Verse 10, he says, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses. The Greek word for weaknesses there is athenia. And it means a disease, a sickness, and infirmity. This could explain uh, Paul's eye problem. This, this could explain his speech problem. You know, this could explain why Timothy was sick. And he told him to drink a little wine for his stomach. But there, there, was, there was weaknesses. So this weakness, where God's grace comes in, it can apply to illnesses. It can apply to il- illnesses, to physical ailments in our body. The next one there. So weaknesses, disease, sickness, infirmity, with insults. Insults. Hurtful words. Hurtful words. Falsehoods spoken about you. And those things hurt. We have emotions. We have feelings. We have a heart. And when people hurt us with those words, those daggers can go deep. But there's something that goes deeper. And that's grace. That's grace. That's grace. I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults. The next one says, uh, he says, um, and, and you cannot, I can't, preface, I can't say enough about his, his opening statement. He says, I'm well content. I'm fine with this. Because in these weaknesses, Christ is going to be magnified. He said, the next one is, there is a, he says there is, with distresses. These are things that happen out of your control, where you have done no wrong. Maybe it was an employer. Maybe it was a business where you were done wrongly. And you had no control of the situation. I know people here that are going through situations like that. They're being wrongfully persecuted. They've been done wrong, and they have no control of the situation. Well, my friend, if you're in that place where you're being done wrong, that is a place where God can come in by his grace and bring wholeness and healing to your heart. He continues in verse 10. He says, um, with persecutions, persecutions, suffering for what we believe. Suffering for what we believe. When a person suffers for the cause of Christ, when a person suffers for taking a stand for Christ, it can be very difficult. It can be very challenging in their hearts and minds. But that is another place, according to Paul right here, that where grace can come in and minister to us when we're persecuted for our faith, when we take a stand. And then uh, he says there in verse 10, he says, with difficulties. Difficulties, that word means, it means uh, pressed in from all sides. 
It means ex- ex- extreme affliction, difficult and trying times. That, when we're in that place, we're in that place of weakness and we're difficulties and we don't know what's going on around us and our world is spinning, that is another opportunity for God's grace to minister to us and in us. Do you see why we're not given the answer to what the thorn in the flesh was? It may have been his eyes. It, it, it may have been spiritual warfare. It may have been all of the above. We don't know. It, it could have been anything. But I believe God purposely lifted out so that this passage could be applied to the entire body of Christ. It, and, and it gives us strength. And, I, and, I, and again, verse 10 is a powerful verse. Notice what it begins and ends with. The, um, the first five words and the last five words. He says, therefore, I am well content. Paul was content with these. And then he says at the end of it, why is he content? Why is it okay that he's going through this? He ends it with the last seven words. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you want to take your Christianity to the next level? Add verses 9 and 10. Add together verse 9 and 10, and this will take your walk to the next level. In, in verse 9, he says, um, I will rather boast about my, and you insert one of the, each one of these, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will rather boast about my insults so the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will rather boast about my distresses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. Let's go to the last two. Taking the phrase from verse 9 and adding the difficulty from um, verse 10, I will rather boast about my persecution so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And finally, I would rather boast about my difficulties so that the power of Christ will be in me. That is grace. You know, grace saves us. We're saved by grace. We stand in grace. But grace wants to operate in your everyday life. And the difficulty that you're facing in 2018, there is this grace that wants to come down and comfort you and strengthen you. And remember, another, another biblical perspective as you look at the challenges and the difficulties of life is this is that they remind us of the fallen world we live in. They remind us of the fallen world that we live in, the difficulties, the challenges. And they propel our hearts above to the Lord and for his grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to go back to my question. Go back to my question that I opened my teaching with. It was this, how strong is grace? How strong is grace? We're saved by grace. We rest in grace. But how long, how strong is grace for everyday life? Number one, the grace of God, it wrecks our lives with the love of God. It shatters everything. It shatters everything. You got to remember who Paul was. He was a Pharisee, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, circumcised on the eighth day. Pharisees, man, they are all about appearance. But grace comes in and removes everything that we could claim for righteousness and puts Christ there on the center. So it doesn't depend on me and you no more, but it's him living in us. How strong is grace? It's very important to note. This passage is not talking about sin. And grace, the grace of God today, will lead you away from sin. 
it will take you down the path towards God and not away from God. Number three, grace gives us the ability to forgive. Grace gives us the ability to forgive and not only forgive, but to let go. To let go in love. When somebody does you wrong, when you have a conflict, there should be a season of working it out, working it together, but ultimately we got to be a forgiving people because grace is in us today. This grace is for today. This grace is for today. And finally, um, from the meat of this text here, is our grace that God puts in our hearts, his grace, it carries us in our deepest, darkest hour. It carries us in our deepest, darkest hour. If you're here this morning and you're going through a challenging time, I hope you've taken these words to heart and understand that you can rest in grace. You can rest in grace no matter what challenge you're facing, no matter what persecution, no matter what physical illness, no matter what difficulty you may be facing. God's grace is enough. This is what kept Paul going. This is what kept Paul going. And this is what will keep me and you going. This gives us that intestinal fortitude to keep on going, to keep running the race. Because in our difficulties, in our trying times, in our beatdowns, it feels like at times, when we have no more strength, I've got some stories. When there was nothing left in the tank, it was over, it was empty, and I had nothing left. And God's amazing grace just came in and was poured into my heart by brothers in Christ and his word. It will carry you. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for grace. Your grace is sufficient for us. Your grace is awesome. Your grace carries us. Help us not to um, take it lightly, but help us to um, take it serious and let your grace work in our hearts through whatever situation your people may be going through. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.